about this. Uh, do you remember my crackpot theory from the last episode uh, where Snow White is a witch? Yes. And I presented my evidence and I completely didn't realize until like we were done recording that I have more evidence. <gasps> Ooh, gimme gimme. What is the first thing that we see her do? She's willowy wishing for her prince to come. Mm-hmm. And who just happens to be walking by, hears the song, and jumps the wall? And jumps the ten-foot wall. He's not being a creeper. He's being lured in because she's controlling him. She controls the uh, animals. She controls the attitudes of the dwarves. Who's to say she didn't summon the prince and uh, placed an infatuation in him? That saved her life. Little wooden boy, come play your part. Bring a little joy to every heart. These are the words sung by Geppetto to Pinocchio in hopes that he will do exactly this. Does Pinocchio bring a little joy to every heart? Or does he keep us up at night thinking about the horrors that he experiences? Thinking about the terror that he may have felt as a young, one-day-old child thrown into a cruel world. And more importantly, what is the legal jurisdiction of a place called Pleasure Island? Hi, my name is Nate Conrad. This is my friend, Abby Rose. Today, we turn our scalpels in for wood planes as we begin carving, cutting, investigating, and dissecting the mouse. So welcome, Abby, Rose, my friend. How you doing? I am doing well. Um, I Well, actually, scratch that. I'm doing as well as can be expected after what we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good <laughs> After, that's a good way to put it yeah what we were compelled to watch by the horrible siren song of the podcast the horrible well to be fair i wanted to watch this from the start with you because i i, I wanted to do this project because i really like you and i like watching things that we will both enjoy and i didn't realize uh how how messed up of a uh experience this would be and it's 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 a slow burner too. I mean, it's like <laughs> when you're eating like something that has hot sauce on it, and there's some hot sauces that are like you taste it, and you're like, "Ow, that's really hot," and then it's over. This one is one of those where you eat it and you're like, "Oh, it's really hot," but then you're like, "Oh, maybe it's not that bad," and then you just you wait, and then it builds, yeah. and it builds. Yeah. and then like two hours afterwards, you burp and you feel like you're breathing fire. Because God. you you feel the aftershock. That's what I've been dealing with the past three hours, looking over my notes and making new ones and making new connections. Like, holy crap. Like, I just, I feel like I've stumbled on something horrible. Like, it's it's like a, that, that news article where it says, like, you know, we've, unco we've uncovered a, a hidden tomb and somebody's like, no, man, this ain't the year. Put it back. Put it back. That's like me with this note, with this... 
we've uncovered a hidden tomb, and it's yeah. got a black sarcophagus, and it's full of mystery juice. <laughs> yeah, mystery juice. We are juice. analyzing the juice. The jungle Don't juice. Don't analyze that juice. Don't analyze the, the, the Pinocchio jungle juice. <laughs> god you don't want you don't want to know you don't want to know what what that's going to do to to your body and your mind and your soul not like pleasure island this is displeasure island you're still gonna condemn yourself but you're just not gonna be doing it doing things that you like in the i don't think there's a gentle way to get into this Um, yeah you just have to just just really just get in there you just have to you just have to you just have to bluntly ram your way through that is mm. okay so okay uh, let's let's start off with um where does pinocchio come from oh that's a good that's a good way let's let's start at the very beginning is this to start i want you to tell me i really desperately want you to tell me that the source material is less uh messed up than what we got uh i'm pretty sure i know that's not true given the source material of snow white which was and the the legacy of disney is you take source material you sanitize it and you present something completely different themed on oh my god i just realized why they keep screwing up young adult books because they take a source material and then they screw they, they screw it up. They they put their whole cartoon approach to it. Yeah. The whiplash of that realization has me forgetting entirely what I was talking about. I'm gonna take that chance anyway. Um. So yeah. So Walt Disney has been traumatizing America's youth since 1940. Uh. But fortunately, even before Mr. Walter took the stage. A man named Carlo Collodi got his back. He he uh, he was doing it ever since the 1800s. So source material. Uh, there was a lot here, and I mean a lot. Disney only adapted part of the original story, uh, only one chapter out of like 13 chapters. So I decided not to cover the whole source text because it's not relevant, and you and I are tied for world's shortest attention span. That's fair. Trust me, though, but what what I have here is probably more than enough for us to chew on. This is going to be an endurance run. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly can tell. The way you've set, the way you've set it up, yeah. uh, this guy, more traumatic than yeah. the traumas of Walt. Yeah, this is like, this is genocide run in, uh, in Undertale, but like in the worst way, because we don't get to choose it. Anyway, so mm. to give you a sense of what we're dealing with here. First, uh, before I get into my research, I'm going to read for you the title of an article that I found on todayifoundout.com. Lay it on me. The article title is, In the original story, Pinocchio killed Jiminy Cricket, got his feet burnt off, and was hanged and left for dead. Was, Was hanged, you say? Hanged and left for dead. So, great mm. start. It's I'd say it's pretty... <sighs> Pretty nice. Um, so Disney's Pinocchio was based on a series of stories written by Carlo Collodi and published in a weekly Italian children's newspaper. The series was called La Storia di un Burattino, or The Story of a Puppet. But it got so popular that Collodi turned all the stories into a book called Le Avventure di Pinocchio, uh, 
um, which you know was most commonly just called Pinocchio. I'm so sorry if there are any people who speak Italian who listen to this because that might be a completely wrong pronunciation. Anyway, it's okay. this book collection was crazy popular. As of 2018, this book has been translated into over 300 languages from its original Italian and to this day remains the most translated non-religious work in the world, as well as one of the best-selling books ever published. Um, so the stories themselves, for the most part, each centered around a truism for children to learn, like respecting their elders and cleaning up and stuff. The story Disney adapted is Chapter 4, which teaches how children don't like to be corrected by people who know better than them. It's kind of a weird thing to teach. It's like just something that you should be like, yeah, okay. If you hear it and you're like, yeah, of course, they don't, that's, does that need to be taught? But I guess maybe it's meant to show like the bad effects of when children don't listen to those who know better. So this story is where Jiminy Cricket shows up as a minor character named only the talking cricket who warns Pinocchio to correct his behavior and then gets a hammer to the face for his troubles. Oof. At, at this point, I should mention that the original Pinocchio was a real bastard. Considering he's seen as a representative for human nature, that sort of fits. As soon as Geppetto carves him, like literally as soon as he, he finishes carving his feet and shows him how to walk, Pinocchio mm -hmm. kicks him in the leg, runs out of the door, and gets him incarcerated. <laughs> Uh, when Pinocchio goes back home and the cricket tells him to chill the hell out, he kills the thing with a hammer. Um, he apparently feels bad about it, but only briefly. So, oh, yeah, um, baby's first murder. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's murder since it's, is it murder if it's a different, like... I'd like to think piece? it's murder if it's the same, the same intelligence level, you know? We, we can't get into animal sentience. Like, if if all animals are sentient, like animals and humans and puppets or whatever, then if the talking cricket kills a smaller bug to eat it for dinner, is that murder? Does the smaller bug talk and does it beg for its life? I don't know. We see no other animals in these stories other than the talking cricket. So it would be safe to assume that all animals talk. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The implications of this are yeah. freaking me out. It's well, okay, then this is just the source material. So, um, anyway, moving on. So, when Geppetto gets out of jail and sells his only coat to pay for Pinocchio's school book, the little wooden jerk sells the book and buys a ticket to the theater instead, which is totally different from the movie where he's tricked into going to the theater and he doesn't, you know, sell his book or anything. Because in the source material for some reason geppetto is super poor like that's like his like he's not just like a wood carver i think he's just really poor i don't think it's ever mentioned that he even is a wood carver he just carves one piece of wood and it happens to be the biggest son of a bitch in all of italy yeah pretty much um oh that's, that's another thing actually the movie i i was listening carefully last time i watched it the movie never specifies that it's actually in italy I mean, that's true. I mean, I, I think Ge Geppetto has, like, a light Italian accent. Yeah, that's but the other get, the other people who are living in Italy don't have accents. The only two accented characters are um, Geppetto and Stromboli. Um, so every story in the series shows Pinocchio being given an opportunity to do the right thing, only to either be tricked into misbehaving, like in the movie, or just straight up ignoring what he was supposed to do, then suffering the consequences. In fact, Collodi didn't even want to write a happy ending. 
His last story ends with Pinocchio, having gotten involved in the, with a shady business deal, being hanged from a tree by his no-good business associates. Collodi wanted this ending to show kids what happened when they were disobedient to their elders. But the newspaper editor told Collodi he needed to write a happy ending, and that's when he wrote in the Blue Fairy and made Pinocchio see the error of his ways. Which, by the way, I feel like we were cheated out of a really cool character design for the Blue Fairy, because she, mm -hmm. the original story, was supposed to be the, the fairy with blue hair. That's like, that was her name, is the fairy with blue hair. I would have, I would have liked to see a fairy with blue hair. A fairy with blue hair, yeah. That would have been really cute. So would it be safe to say that Carlo Collodi, is he kind of like the Arthur Conan Doyle of this? Like he's got a character that he just wants as a one-off and then everybody wants it? I don't think so because he wrote this as a series in a children's newspaper. That's fair. That's fair. And then the reason why he wanted to have him die at the end is because that's kind of how a lot of these cautionary tales are are told where the person in the story dies like they don't get saved they die and then the idea is the moral of the story is don't do this or else you're gonna die too like there's no okay and for some reason so it was it was death for a reason not death to stop writing about it no yeah yeah. Um, oh, also, I have a fun fact. Fun fact. Um, in 2011, an 11-year-old, or not 2011, in 2001, an 11-year-old girl named Veronique Eldritch Smith came up with the Pinocchio paradox. It's a version of the famous liar paradox. Um, so essentially, if Pinocchio were to say, my nose grows now, it would be a lie because his nose is not growing. But since it is a lie, his nose should start to grow. But if his nose does start to grow, then he would be telling the truth, not a lie, which means his nose shouldn't grow. This feels like something that, that Chad and Boomer discuss in the frat house at 3 a.m. after blazing yeah. super hard. Like, galaxy brain. I mean, come on. Like, that's... it. it just think about that. Just sit it's, there and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Does his nose grow or not? Yeah, you never know. You mentioned that the Blue Fairy is different in the story as compared to in what we got. Uh, mm -hmm. What about other characters? How how what are the what are the characters in Binocchio? Binocchio. Bisney's Dinocchio. So here's a list of these characters. So first we have Pinocchio. Yes. Is a lovable little idiot. Um, not like me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. A magical yeah. wooden doll granted life by a fairy to keep a childless old woodcarver company because even in Italy, the adoption process is less likely to succeed than a magical spell. But I'm Zing. Okay. Um, that gets me right in the core. It really yeah. does. You poor, lovable little adopted idiot. Hey, my parents. My parents hand selected me. Oh, you were you were hand selected like a I was cut of meat. <laughs> I was a I was a ripe cherry tomato farmer selected and handed off to and a pick. fine couple making a salad. Oh, but that would that would imply that they cut you up. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody gets cut up by their parents from time to time. Yeah, I guess so. Verbally, verbally. If if your parents are cutting you up in any other way, call somebody. Yes. We have we'll, we'll put a child uh like a children's hotline down below. Anyway, 
Um, so, uh, let's see. If anything happens to you like happens in Pinocchio, call somebody. Oh my gosh, yeah. If anything, <laughs> watch Pinocchio, and if anything that's depicted there happens to you, then just reach out. Please reach out. If, if somebody just says, safe. let's go to Pleasure Island... If an old man approaches you, if, if an old man or a talking fox approaches you and tells you to come to Pleasure, Pleasure Island with them, then do not go. Scream fire, run away, aim for the that's a, I hate that that's the best, the best thing that we can say, scream fire. Yeah, well, because if, if they just scream like they're kidnapping me, then they're not going to listen, so scream fire. Right, yeah. Um, which is... Tragic. Freaking messed up. Um, so, yeah, Pinocchio, cinnamon roll, seemingly indestructible, which is good considering how many times he would have died from blunt force trauma alone. Um, considering that, he maybe didn't make the best choice when wanting to go from being a tiny wooden Luke cage to a soft mortal meat suit. <laughs> he, was ba- he was basically like like wooden, wooden, unironic Deadpool. Yeah, like, as far as we know, he could just keep rebuilding himself if yeah. somebody like takes his arm off yeah i mean he could just yeah he, he's he's got no strings to hold him down um oh that reminds me i he twisted his head 360 degrees around yeah he breathes no air he needs no food or sleep i had a, a theory that i want to say that we should save that for the end oh okay like for the crack for the for the for the crack, crackpot, crackpot theories. theories no it's a legitimate theory no okay i will save it for the end all right, Connor, cut that out. We're going to put that at the end. <laughs> Connor, cut that out. He's going to cut us. Um, he is. This is his job. He's going to cut us like a ripe cherry tomato. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> bringing it around. Bring it right around. Okay, let's go back to Geppetto. Uh, so Pinocchio was a lovable little idiot. Geppetto is a lovable old idiot. Uh, I'm 76% positive this is just Italian Clint McElroy, complete with glasses, cherub cheeks, and charming buffoons as offspring. Aww. I know. Um, he talks to his pets like he expects an answer and torments them with a little wooden puppet, which makes him one of our most relatable characters, because that's just how pet owners be. Uh, he has a pet cat named Figaro, who probably thinks Geppetto is his pet instead, considering how much he takes care of the man. And Cleo, a smooching goldfish. Uh, Geppetto sleeps with his glasses on, which is extremely chaotic and personally unsettling. Oh my god, he glasses. does! I watched that and I was like, oh, he's gonna take his glasses off. Oh, he's gonna... T-. He didn't take his glasses off. Oh my gosh, he's gonna freaking cut himself in the cheek. This is not a drill. I completely forgot he doesn't take it. I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. It's not that I forgot. I didn't realize. What I, kind of man is this? I, I This is a man who sleeps with a musket under his pillow. It's a blunderbuss. Thank you very much. Well, it looks like a musket. And he just, he sleeps with a firearm under his pillow, poking into his head. He sleeps with his glasses on. Nothing phases this man. Um... Now we know where now we know where Pinocchio gets it from his immortality. I know that's true. Yeah, he's just he's son of Geppetto. We don't know where Geppetto came from. Maybe Geppetto was a little wooden boy himself. Um, all right, so we have Jiminy Cricket, an apparently homeless talking cricket with human-like hands and feet, acts as Pinocchio's conscience and does an absolute horrible job, abandoning him at least twice, and convincing him to lie and 
getting him captured by two separate grown men with nefarious aims. Technically the same set of grown men working for two separate additional grown men. No, two separate grown men, and then there's two animals. Oh, right, yeah. I keep forgetting that they're not people, they're animals. What? Yeah. They're, they're... Uh, <laughs> I'll get into that later. I have a list. That's a whole rabbit hole. It's a whole foxhole. Hey, foxhole. Hey, swag. Um, all right, so now Blue Fairy. Blonde bombshell in a slinky evening gown. She kind of looks like Katherine Heigl. Um, she's Does a... she? She does, yeah. Katherine Heigl. Let me think about Katherine Heigl for a second. The, the 20, it's, it's hard not to think about Katherine Heigl every second of every day. Is um, she the one who played Stephanie Plum in One for the Money? That is not a question that I can answer. Um, Understandable. In 27 Dresses, she, she's like, she was the romantic comedy queen for like a solid five years, and then she just dropped off the map. She's like a, a Drew Barrymore with bigger eyes and smaller cheeks? Sort of. Sort of. Um, That's a tough description to make. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. She she's she was in The Ugly Truth. She was in 27 Dresses. Um She's just like the blonde with round chubby cheeks. She looks like a like a 30-year-old uh Shirley Temple, but like not creepy, like actually attractive. Okay. Okay. I, hmm, I I haven't look, look seen any of later. those. I will look her up later because I haven't seen any of those movies that you mentioned that she was in. Mm-hmm. She looks like a less waifish version of the girl who plays um, Villanelle in Killing Eve. Oh, like a more a more bombshell type person, less European looking. Okay, okay, I can I can kind of picture yeah. that. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> keep that in, Connor. Catherine Heigl aside. Yeah, Catherine Heigl aside. Let's let's push it aside for a second. But that's what the blue fairy looks like. Uh, she's a nosy bench who breaks her promise not to help Pinocchio and Jiminy, and and two horning them both into achieving their goals. Angel or God allegory, I guess? Question mark. Also, not actually blue, which is a freaking letdown. Right. Yeah, with blue hair, she would have looked really cool. Yeah. So. Those are all the good people. Now let's go to Stromboli. Oh. Must we? We must, unfortunately. So for Stromboli, I put... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Owner of a traveling marionette show who captures Pinocchio to be in his act. To this day, I still can't decide whether he's a Romani stereotype or a Jewish stereotype. Both are unsettling and become more unsettling when you think about how, prior to the 90s Disney Renaissance, Stromboli was the most popular, most villainous villain. And, insult to injury here, I was reading about the source material, and in the original story, Stromboli Mm -hmm. actually is a redemptive character. He kidnaps Pinocchio at first, but then whenever Pinocchio begs him to let him go back to his father, Stromboli not only lets him go, he also gives him like five gold nobles to bring back to his father. What the hell? We could have had a redemption in the story. No, of course not. How could we? He has to be the stereotype who's bad. He has to be the weird, weirdly like graphic sexually graphic stereotype. Ugh, I, I, 
And this is this is our our first, but this will not be our last foray into horrible horrible stereotypes in Disney yeah. film. Actually, speaking of that, let's get let's get uh a little bit Oh, yes, you said you prepared something. Yeah, um, let's let's um have kind of serious corner for just for just one second. All right, I'm turning the chair all the way around. I'm sitting in it backwards. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get back to goofs in just a second, but first, I wanted to Let's wrap. Take a moment. Yeah, I wanted to take a moment to address the Stromboli in the room. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you said we were done with goofs. <laughs> Actually, one yeah. goof. We're, we're we're never going with it. One goof. Um, one punch, but it's one. Uh-huh. So, oh, don't even. I know you just watched a Goofy movie, but there's I did. there's no home for that quite yet. Goofy hasn't been birthed. Our Babbitt hasn't given birth to Goofy in a major way yet. Um, okay, so serious corner. So as we slog through these earlier movies, we see a few things. We see the birth of new techniques in animation. We see Disney's unique eye for crafting a children's story. Mm-hmm. We also see some pretty offensive racial depictions. Absolutely. At this point, there's only one or two so far, but as we watch more movies, there will be more racist characters. Now, this is a casual podcast. We don't take ourselves too seriously, and we try not to take the material too seriously either. But we ask that you please don't misinterpret our brevity on these problematic elements as ignorance or even acceptance of them. Children's films and Disney films are as much a gauge for public opinion on certain things as the earlier fairy tales and stories they were adapted from. Our podcast simply doesn't have the strength to support the weight of analyzing these things as much as they deserve. But just because we don't dive into them, that doesn't mean we want anyone to ignore their presence. Uh, Where this podcast episode is posted on YouTube, I will leave a a list of further reading from scholars far more qualified than either of us to talk about the depictions of racism and racist characters in Disney films. You can enjoy Pinocchio and Aladdin while also acknowledging the problems they cause, just as you can read and like Harry Potter while also admitting the anti-Semitism and problematic elements of not only the story, but also the author. So that's my that's my sort of serious corner. I just wanted to address that because that's something that's been on my mind. I don't want you to any anybody listening to think that we don't care or we're ignoring it or we, you know, accept these problematic characters because we don't. We, we really don't. But um, our podcast just isn't structured to support that type of of, you know, in-depth content. And so um where this podcast is posted on YouTube, um, I will leave a list of things. And elsewhere, I don't know if I'll be able to leave a list, but um, just know that there are people who have made really um, in-depth and thought-provoking arguments about this very subject. And a quick Google can definitely show you these people. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, back, back to goofs. Abby, straight up. Yeah. Like, I'm in, I'm kind of impressed. That was why. <laughs> I don't know. Like you're 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 bringing out like references and sources that are going down there, like oh, yeah. to specifically <laughs> condemn this. Like that's 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 really cool of you. Like I was, yeah. I was ex- I was gonna say like the biggest thing I can do. 
me thinking the biggest thing that I can do is like, I see something, I say something, I move on. <laughs> I see something. If you see something, say something. Yeah, I see. I, like I, when I was watching, I was <laughs> watching Pinocchio with my parents. Uh, they said a word that rhymes with tipsy. I said, ah, that's wrong to say. And then I just moved on, kept watching the movie. And I was like, well, that's the most I can do. You're coming at it with sources and stuff. Well, yeah. Like, I'm impressed because like, I, 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 I have a, I'm, I have a difficulty in checking myself, you know, at, at, yeah. to, to that extent. I think, I think of myself in the terms of, well, there's not much I can do. And I forget, like, I can just like Google it. I can educate myself. Yeah, that's, and, and that's, that's not really like, like, I'm definitely not the first person to do that. And I definitely am not the, the best person to, to like bring attention to these sorts of things. And so. Oh, absolutely. Like, let, or, let's yeah. hold no illusions. We are both lily white. Yeah. I, I mean, like I just got a bachelor's degree in English literature. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be making groundbreaking research. My only public at this point is about pedophilia in a freaking Vladimir Nabokov story like I'm oh my god yeah I'm, I'm having I'm a having a devil there. wears Prada moment I'm having a devil wears Prada moment pedophilia in Lolita groundbreaking groundbreaking yeah I know <laughs> um so pretty much but um but yeah so where, wherever I can I educate myself and then I if I can say I know nothing about this then I'd like to follow that up with here are people that do know things about this. And I, I do have some sources because one of my final projects for my Latinx literature class was I chose to do it on Latinx presence in Disney movies, actually, which is weirdly topical. So I have sources from there. But Oh, yeah, because we're not too many episodes from now. We're getting into not just Saludos Amigos, but the Three Caballeros. Mm -hmm. And yes. Apologies to any uh, Spanish-speaking listeners if I absolutely butchered that. I've tried my best. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, that's... Yeah. That was just my, my little thing that I was going to say. Um, and not, like, I don't want to, like, pat my own back on that be like, look at how good I did. Because it's not... That was the the intent. And I, I know that things are really difficult right now in the world. And while... Yeah. Yeah. And we're trying not to be a political thing. We're trying to, yeah. we're just like, like I say at the end, in the outro that we copy, copy and paste at the end of every episode, this is a subjective opinion podcast based yeah. on Disney movies where like you can still go and ride the uh, Pinocchio adventure ride somewhere. And I think it's Disneyland. I think maybe it's in Japan. I don't know. But yeah, like us saying, us reminding you that um, Stromboli is a horrible, terrible Romani Jewish stereotype isn't going to get Disney to pull up stakes and say, oh, shucks, we'll try again. Like, yeah. no, they've, they've made like a billion dollars on the back of that wagon. On that, on that yeah, on that traveling circus wagon. Um, all right, so... Let's let's lift lift off here now that things are are a little less heavy maybe. We'll leave the racist stereotype back there until I have to mention him. Mm -hmm. Uh and we're going to move on forward to to something more pleasant. Abby, what's next? Um Honest John and Gideon. I said more pleasant. <laughs> you get less pleasant. 
know, I wouldn't say less, but it's, it's, it's not, we're, we're still not pleasant yet. We're still, yeah. we're, oh, oh, you don't know what I've been, <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> this is the episode where I break you. We're two episodes in and I will, I am so excited for, stop looking at me in the way Dolph Lundgren looks at Rocky. I am so excited for the sleepless nights, the sleepless bloodshot nights I am about to wreak upon you okay um so honest john and gideon so two hucksters who take advantage of pinocchio oh i need to mention by the way honest john is a anthropomorphic fox and gideon is an anthropomorphic cat so two hucksters who take advantage of pinocchio sell him to like two different guys one after the other and basically drive the plot of this movie is it ever explained why they are a fox and cat never never you asked Never explained. Uh, so they basically drive the plot of this movie, though. Like, I was thinking about that. They really do. Because they, they're the ones who kind of set both, like, both balls rolling. Both balls rolling. Um, <laughs> they set, both cubes both rolling. Cubes rolling. <laughs> yeah. um, they set the ball rolling on, like, both of the men kidnapping Pinocchio. Um, anyway, so Honest John is the sly, smart one, since he's a fox or whatever. And night and day, I am tormented by the fact that if this movie came out in the last 20 years, Honest John would be prime furry bait. Mm, I'm going to take you one step higher than that. <laughs> uh -huh. Honest John would get the Onceler treatment. He would, I, I was trying to think of the name, but yeah, he would get the Onceler treatment. He would, he would be in the Comita Sans. It would be the Comita Sans Honest John triad. That like, yeah, that like. Uh, oh, what, what's the what's the guy's name from? Um, he's a fox too from Zootopia. Nick Wild. Nick Wild, yeah, he would get the Nick Wild treatment. Oh my god, did Nick Wild get that treatment? I felt like he did because he's he's like that character where he's like the sil like the kind of sly he's a sly fox. Anyway, yeah. So I thought Judy Hopps got it worse in uh, in the fandom of Zootopia. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> let's not stuff. dwell on that um all right let's not dwell on that anyway um so yeah uh and then so that's honest john he's a sly smart one whatever and then gideon well like you did last episode i'm gonna reference that Patton oswald quote here <laughs> i don't want to give a name to it but there's something wrong with gideon <laughs> no <laughs> he's like, there's something he's like the he's like the dopey of this movie but it's never like in a good way it's always like in a bad way um so yeah, i mean like, anyway moving on lampwick is he uh, contextually though is he like the harpo marks I, I don't know i guess I, I you have no idea do you no i don't that's I fair that's out, very like fair. i did know um i so, realized all the way through i was i realized no. as i was saying harpo marks i was like oh there's no way it's like, it's it's a theme at this point. You're like, oh yeah, it's like that reference. And then I say, no, I don't, I can't confirm or deny. Yeah. Um, so, Lampwick. Troublemaker kid Pinocchio befriends on Pleasure Island. God, I hate that name. Uh, <laughs> Lampwick or Pleasure the... Island? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a donkey in one of the most chilling and unsettling scenes in all of Disney cinema, where he's famous. <sighs> his mommy and then brays desperately and it's just really troubling um oh uh now we have the coachman 
The coach, <clears throat> Jonathan Coachman. Jonathan Coachman. <clears throat> Don't make a pedophile joke. Don't make a pedophile joke. Don't make a pedophile joke. Come on. Monstro. Come on. <laughs> Monstro just wants to take a nap and eat some snacks. Giant whale creature Pinocchio gives him heartburn. Get it? Heartburn. Ah. And forces him to let them out of his belly. Them being Pinocchio and Geppetto. I hope he's okay. Hey, big guy. Sun's getting real low. Jesus. <laughs> I can't uh, believe. Are you a are you a monstro apologist now? <laughs> monstro did nothing wrong. Monstro specifically had murder in his heart. <laughs> you see the cold Says intelligence them. in his eyes. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. All right, so that's all I have for right now. I have more stuff for when we get to the opinion parts because I have a lot to say about this movie that I didn't sink in oh. until I it again and i was like wait a second it's like you watch it the first time you're like there's something i can't put my finger on and then you put your <laughs> finger right in it and it's just like everything my finger is getting tired from all the like spots in the movie that's just like wait a second what's next are we gonna hear about story or are we gonna hear about oh we're we're going right into story and then we're going right into production and i am so yeah. excited about the story because i finally Knocked it down to two pages. Yay! <sighs> and the, the crowd goes wild. Oh, oh. Um, tell me about the story. All right. Open on a wandering vagrant, singing and narrating the story of how he came to believe in magic. One day, he decided to do a B&E on the home of a woodcarver. <laughs> yeah, that's never... Like, why is he the conscience if he decides to squat in this, like... <laughs> woodcarver's place he's like he's, we'll get to that uh but the home of the woodcarver is the maker of uh well in the home of the woodcarver is a maker of fine music boxes and clocks including duck pond clock town drunk clock and child abuse clock oh yes those are my favorites clock <laughs> Uh, this is Geppetto, lonely old man, lives with his neurotic cat Figaro and flirtatious fish Cleo. He's just finished up a brand new marionette, Pinocchio, which he uses to terrorize his pets. I, I like that we came up with the same one, same hat. Same hat, same hat. Uh, this, the cat is freaked, the fish is into it, concerning. Just before bed, he does the relatable sleepover bit of carrying on a conversation well past bedtime, albeit with Figaro, and wishes that Pinocchio could be a real boy. The wish is heard by the blue fairy, who floats down to earth and grants his wish, because old G-Man is such a nice guy. She does this by turning the puppet into a soulless homunculus that feels no pain, breathes no air, and needs no sleep, then sticks him with the responsibility of figuring out his own way on how to become real. Uh, he, unlike me, is overjoyed to be burdened with the gift of life, but doesn't know diddly crap. This infuriates our narrator, James Cricket who swoops on down to berate the young boy, thusly dropping him into a situation where he is too flustered and turned on by the Blue Fairy to refuse when she offers oh him the job of being the official conscience for this boy. That's where it comes hey, from. Hey, man, this ain't no B-movie. This ain't no B-movie. No, it's a cricket movie. Come on, pay attention. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, <laughs> and so through a jaunty little tomb, Jiminy Cricket teaches Pinocchio how to ask for help and how to whistle, waking up the whole damn house. Geppetto, unnerved by the prospect of a strange, whistling, cackling intruder, retrieves a whole-ass gun from under his pillow. 
when he finds out that his puppet son is now allied, he's overjoyed and has a whole ass celebration, then promptly tells him he has to go to school tomorrow because enrollment doesn't exist in the lawless anarchy of rural Italy. On his way... No, no, absolutely not. On his way to his very first day of classes, Pinocchio is met with, and I shit you not, this is never explained, a fast-talking anthropomorphic fox named Honest John and his bumbling mute anthropomorphic cat sidekick, Gideon. They're just there. They're just there. It's never explained. Don't worry about it. Listen, don't don't worry worry. about it. Don't worry. That the pair smell an investment opportunity and trick him into wanting to be an actor, which is a ruse to sell him to the local traveling racial stereotype and part-time puppeteer. Which, by the way, <laughs> I just wanted to say, I love the fact that they always, they keep dunking on actors, just, like, constantly. <laughs> it's so funny, like, twice, um, like, <laughs> one time, like, what does an actor need with a conscience anyway? I and, love that line. It's so relevant end, modern day. I know, and then whenever he gets saved from Stromboli, uh, Pinocchio's like, yeah, I'd rather be smart than be an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Disney, come on. Whatever writer wrote that clearly has multiple multiple actor friends that he wanted to piss off. Absolutely. Oh my god, he's like, I wrote something special for you, uh, topical Uh, actor of the time, Orson Welles. uh, Oh, I was going to say Cary Grant. Cary no. Grant, that's a good name. Yeah, he's a... Harpo Marx. Harpo Marx. Yep, that's definitely yep. one that I know. That's a, yeah, that's a name that you're aware of now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, Jimbo the Grasshopper is late, and so he barely reaches Pinocchio in time to explain that those men are bad and going to school is right, and that because he's the conscience in this relationship, what he says goes. Pinocchio does the most real boy thing of all and ignores the advice of his conscience, leaving him behind. When Jiminy next sees his little wooden boy, he's dancing and singing on stage with some sexy racial stereotype puppets in a smash hit show. The show is such a big hit, such a big hit, that James P. Cricket just goes and abandons Pinocchio for the first time. For the first time. Pinocchio, after a brief and pleasant chat, finds out that he has been sold into slavery to this Judeo-Romani offense, and goes into full panic mode and fear mode as he and his life and livelihood are threatened. Meanwhile, Geppetto goes out searching for his son, missing him by inches as Jiminy decides to say goodbye only to find the horrifying state Pinocchio is in. (laughs) Unable to free him, they are happened upon by the Blue Fairy who asks what's up. What's poppin'? Why aren't you in school getting bullied by cruel children who either can't or won't understand that you are a fleshless monster? <laughs> Pinocchio does the <laughs> Pinocchio does the logical thing and lies to the woman that gave him life, only to find his nose grow into a full-on branch. Birds and, and like, balloons. And like, and, I want to say here too, I noticed that he doesn't just lie; he's also told to lie. By Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy specifically says, hey, leave me out of this. He does tell him to lie, but he tell he tells him to tell him the truth, but tells him to lie, like, immediately after. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is, a, is telling him to lie. I mean, to be fair, this is a very good interpretation of a human conscience relationship in early life. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the, the nose growing is one of the most famous bits of the lore, by the way, but it only ever happens once. Did you notice that? 
Yeah, I did notice that. I was like, why didn't it happen more often? Yeah, it threatens to happen again later, but like this is this is the thing that Pinocchio is known for. His nose grows when he lies. But I think that it's just the blue fairy made his nose grow in this situation cuz she knew he was lying to teach him a lesson. And that lesson is that good people never lie under any circumstance ever. And then she tells him she can't help him anymore after this, remember that, and frees him. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the bad part of town, Honest John and Giddy are getting sauced up with a pleasant old English coachman whose name is literally Foulfellow. <laughs> I, I, I looked this up and I learned I it, it after learning it. No, I learned it on an episode of House of Mouse. Uh, his name is literally just Foulfellow. Huh. It's I'm, apt because it's, he's... Yeah. Yeah, because he's hiring them specifically to kidnap stupid little boys to take stupid to Pleasure <laughs> Island. Oh, God. that's just a... Worst, worst, worst. It's bad yeah. specifically because you can tell it's bad because our dastardly characters who have sold Pinocchio into slavery two times at this point are yeah. sweating. They're no, this like, is this will be the second panic. time they sell him into slavery. Yeah, they're they're like panic sweating, like Honest John mm-hmm. and are like clutching each other, terrified, and like they literally even say like, "Oh, I don't know about that." Like. Yeah. They, they, they're they concerned about the law at this point. These guys who sold a boy into slavery are concerned about the law now. And are laughing about, yeah, about selling him into slavery. So, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, it's that. So, naturally, they dupe Pinocchio a second time, uh, this time into a vacation, where on the way, on the coach that the coachman is driving, uh, Pinocchio meets Lampwick, a cheeky and incorrigible jerk kid. To become best friends and on Pleasure Island, it's Lampy who introduces him to the ultimate vices of smoking, picking fights, and playing pool. In fact, playing pool is so bad that when Jiminy discovers Pinocchio doing exactly that, he abandons him a second time. As you do. As you do. I I think you you pointed this out when I was when I was talking about it while we were watching about it. Uh uh that it it's not that it it couldn't possibly be the things that the pool hole represents it's just playing pool that's bad yeah yeah it's just i just don't understand like i don't understand it like just the obsession i guess it's a, it's like with um video games nowadays where people are like don't don't play video games they're bad for you like but right yeah why? it's it's I believe pool is depicted then as video games are depicted in the early 2000s. Boom. There you go. Connection. So, yeah, while Jiminy is abandoning Pinocchio, uh, (laughs) uh, he discovers the worst thing ever of all time. Oh, it's awful. Get ready for this. Um, I'm going to I'm just going to get this out of the way. Uh, I know of certain circles of people who have a fixation, shall we say, with transformation. And a lot of them attribute uh, an early experience with transformation in a cartoon as something that gave them this fixation. Hang on to your socks, because we're about to explore the polar opposite of that. (laughs) Foul Fellow is sorting out donkeys in clothes by asking them their name. If the donkey brays, he rips off the clothes and shoves them in a crate. If the donkey gives them a name and cries for their mama, he throws them in a pen and terrorizes them. Meanwhile, in... 
he doesn't terrorize him specifically. He just throws him in a pen, like, with the implied intention of later disposing of them. Yeah. Because they're defective. He lets them sit and think about it. He's throw them back. He's going to make them do some more terrible stuff so that they can not talk and throw them into a pen later. We don't we don't know that. We don't know that. All we know is that the donkeys, this is one of the things I'm talking about, one that when the donkeys like bray and they can't talk, they're sold to the circus or whatever. But and so those are like the proper specimens, but the ones mm. that talk are defective. The, the the spell didn't take place. So he throws them in a pen, presumably because they are the duds, with no implication that he's going to fix them, no implication that he's going to do it over again. I would argue that there's a stronger focus that he's either going to imprison them forever or call them. Mm, I don't like that even more. I don't like that. I don't like that. That's but that's why I wanted to say it is because it's not even like oh I'm gonna terrorize you. No, that's too light of a sentence from what for what is going on here. Right. Yeah. But at this point, we still haven't talked about where talking donkeys come from, and oh yeah, why didn't you tell where talking donkeys come from? Well, I was just about to get into that. Okay, get into that. All right. So meanwhile, in the pool hall. Lampwick discovers he's turning into a donkey and screams in horror and fear for his mother as he is forced to become a jackass. If that wasn't enough, Pinocchio is watching this and then he sprouts ears and a tail himself and freaks out. The whole thing is an absolute nightmare. Like, and I, I, it's important for me to point out, like, everything with Stromboli, terrifying. Everything with Fowlfellow, terrifying this transformation sequence terrifying this has been a terrifying movie um so yeah but hey right at the nick of time pinocchio is found by jiminy who's come back to save him helping him swim from the island to the shore how do they swim all that way listen don't worry about it he's a homunculus who breathes no air so finally after all this time Pinocchio thinks, maybe I should just listen to Jiminy when he says that the world is a nightmare and I should be at home. However, when they get back home, Geppetto's workshop is boarded up and long abandoned. A magical dove sent by the Blue Fairy to help them, the same Blue Fairy that said she wouldn't help them, informs them that Geppetto took his cat and fish to go out and look for Pinocchio and got swallowed by a whale. Monstro the Terrible Whale. Pinocchio does the only logical thing and ties a rock to his tail so he can explore the ocean floor and find his father. He does, by being consumed by Monstro, the terrible whale. There he has an emotional reunion and the brilliant idea to start a big smoky fire to force the whale to sneeze them out. This, of course, infuriates Monstro, the terrible whale, who chases them, cornering them in front of a cliff to try and murder them. If this part isn't very funny, it's because this scene genuinely terrified me the most. I reacted with genuine fear that was embedded deep in my childhood. Like, I was looking at this... It was like I was looking at this for the first time as, like, a four-year-old boy watching this for the first time, and I was like, oh, no, this affected me later in life. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> so I anyway. hope this doesn't awaken anything in me it does absolute primal fear <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is job, job.
God, I wish you weren't right. It goes both ways, man. It does. It does. All right. What happens after Monstro? Well, uh, after Monstro, uh, Pinocchio, by the way, during Monstro, Pinocchio narrowly saves Geppetto by swimming him through a hole in the cliff. Figaro and Cleo and Jiminy are okay, too. Pinocchio, who swam from an island to shore, who set his hand on fire and felt no pain, who walked on the ocean floor, drowns in this process. How? Don't worry about it. Why? So the camera can focus on his drowned corpse for a maximum of horror. Which is Don't worry awful, by the way. It's literally just him lying face down in a pool, motionless. and For three seconds, straight. So, un- there's nothing else there. There's no, like... Geppetto going, oh, my boy, my boy. It's literally just like a still shot of Pinocchio lying face down. Like The water is moving. Things are bobbing around him. He's just motionless in the water for five seconds straight. It is just like, it, it, it cracks you right down the sea. It's awful. (laughs) But listen, listen, Mm. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, because as soon, as soon as they get him home, the f- magic of the blue fairy echoes through the room, turning Pinocchio into a real boy, giving his father such a huge case of emotional whiplash that I'm surprised his neck doesn't snap. As they celebrate, Jiminy is rewarded for his good work with a gold badge, and he reprises his tune from the beginning of the film as if we weren't all traumatized by now. I want to believe... I want to believe that since he's a vagabond, he literally just turns around and pawns the gold badge. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he specifically asks for a, a badge, yeah. solid gold. It's so solid gold pawn one. It. We can sell it. <laughs> yeah. Get, ri- get rid of this. I need, I need money for a new tent. Mm-hmm. Buy himself a pretty human looking doll. He does have a fixation with pretty human looking dolls. Yeah. Yeah. And with yeah. the blue fairy. And oh man, giantess fetish. Well, just he, human woman fetish, which is weird. Yeah, that's still equally weird. He's a cricket, and he likes human women. Yeah, he's like a weird cricket, which I actually, I actually mentioned <laughs> in my thing. You did, you did. Same hat. Same hat. Same hat. So. Uh, so. That's everything that we see on the scenes. And now I've got a little bit about behind the scenes. Oh boy! If you are prepared. I think I am as prepared as I can be. All right. So with that in mind, let's talk about, let's you and me talk about Pinocchio's animation, which is phenomenal. Uh, Let's go over reference material to start with. Uh, Back when they did Snow White, uh, of course, they had Marge Belcher and Lucille LeVere for body reference and reference Mm -hmm. sheets for each character uh, that were whipped up and passed around. But starting with Pinocchio, the Walt Disney Animation Company started up a 3D modeling department, which would create actual physical models of characters and props. For example, all of the cuckoo clocks that they zoom in in Geppetto's shop were created as real and functional props so that the animators could watch them work. That would be such Uh, a cool thing, though. Like, after the movie wraps, and if they are like, hey, we have, like, 20 of these really cool clocks. Yeah. I bet they're no, yeah. race to get them. And then the only one that was left was the child abuse clock. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to be fair, um, I watched a special called The Reluctant Dragon where they go backstage and show you like all the stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the scenes is they go into the modeling department and the guy futzing around, futz around with the uh, the town drunk clock. 
Oh, cool. Is it as cool yes. as it is in the animation? It's even cooler because it moves like it moves more fluidly because it's real. It's so That's cool. So cool. Uh, and Stromboli's wagon was created as a real and functional prop so that the animators could watch it work. Actually, uh, fun fact, what they did was for some of it was they took the footage of Stromboli's wagon moving and used that in lieu of animation uh, as opposed to like rotoscoping it so oh, that you could cool. get. Yeah, I think that's when uh, the wagon goes right by Geppetto. Oh yeah, that that always seems like a weird yeah like a weirdly like realistic motion. Yeah, they did such a good job because they were they were just like let's just trace over the actual footage so that it gets the drawn lines, but it moves like like it should because it's just footage of it moving like it should. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not rotoscoping, but it's not not rotoscoping. Yes. Another department that was created during the production of Pinocchio was the airbrushing department. And to head that up, enter one Miss Barbara Worth Baldwin, who took under her wing 25 women and men who began utilizing airbrushing in a number of wonderful new ways. Uh, What did you think of the light beams from the Wishing Star and the Blue Fairy? I thought they were pretty, pretty cool, pretty lighty. Yeah, the stardust twinkling in the night sky, the glare on Cleo's fishbowl, the sea spray and the mo- the smoke coming out of Monstro, those all were a result of airbrushing directly onto glass planes. That's so uh, cool. Yeah, speaking of the glass planes, we're going to take a second to go off into a tangent about multi-plane, uh, multi-pane, I should say, glass panes, not glass planes. Uh, but yeah, multi-pane camera work. Now, it's a method in animation to create depth by you put your cells on panes of glass in front of other cells and in front of the background in front of the camera. Like I said, because they're on panes of glass, you can paint directly on them. Uh, that's how they got those dazzling like stardust and sun ray and smoke effects. Um, but not only that, Disney was taking it to the absolute extreme in this picture. As he uh, does. As he does. At some points, they were lay- layering five panes of glass at one time. So you could... <sighs> Do you remember that scene where it starts on the town and it goes in past yeah. the buildings and it zooms down the street in one continuous shot? That's a freaking sick scene, man. Like, watch Pinocchio for that, even with all the traumatizing elements. Oh, absolutely. Just watch I, it I until, think... like, like, five minutes in and then just cut out really quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then watch, like, clips of later on so you can get, like, the really cool stuff they do with Monstro and the really cool stuff... <laughs> Release, they do with the wagon. Release a uh, a mild a milk toast cut of Pinocchio, and it's like twenty soft Pinocchio. Soft Pinocchio is like twenty five minutes long. <laughs> Diet Pinocchio. <laughs> Diet Pinocchio Lacroix. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Uh. Yes. <laughs> one last little bit. I. Speaking of Monstro, one last little bit. Uh, Monstro, the bane of my nightmares, one last little bit. Monstro, the terrible whale. <laughs> he had a voice actor. A unknown voice actor at the time, going by the name of Thurl Ravenscroft. Oh, I love that name. It's such a good name. That it's the greatest name. That is such a name. good name. I'm using that name in my next D&D campaign. Thurl Raven. That's, that's the name of, like, a late night, like... 
um, like a really late night radio show, like a spooky radio show. Mm. Not at like two in the morning. And that's the name. That's like, the name that you. That's the name that you give to the Lord of the Keep, who has not been seen for twenty years and is oh, rumored to have Ravens gone mad Croft. with age. Yeah, and you don't <laughs> see him, but you see like a little bit of the drapes moving, and then you see like a whole murder of crows just take off. <laughs> yeah, and he like. But yeah, <laughs> Earl Ravenscroft. Everyone. You, if you recognize the name, though, you recognize him as the man who sang "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch," and provided the original vocals for Tony Furry Thirst Daddy the Tiger. Oh, mm-hmm. that's his. That's his Christian name. <laughs> that's his, <laughs> yes. That's that's what he was christened as. God-given name. <laughs> what is your name, my son? Furry Thirst Daddy. Oh my God! It's great. <laughs> Speaking of, of, uh, it's baked. Um, <laughs> speaking of fur uh, bait with Honest John. <laughs> stop. I will never. You'll have to stop to hear about the the most insane thing about Thurl Ravenscroft's career. Besides uh, his name? His, his... Besides his name, he started his whole career as Monstro, working for Disney. And he ended his whole career working for Disney as, uh, I forget the name, but the vacuum cleaner on uh, the Brave Little Toaster. And the Brave Little Toaster goes to Mars. So he started and ended his career as a non-human character. He started his career and ended his career as a non-human character that was known for inhaling with great force. Yeah. He's known for the... Anyways! He was known for the inhale. (laughs) You were not starting to say inhale. Don't mm, lie to me. The sinhale. The sinhale. The sinhale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got one last little tidbit. One okay. last little tidbit before I'm done with production. I promise. Okay. All right. Ink and paint department girl. Mm-hmm. L- Louise Weiser. Mm-hmm. She wanted a better way of blending colors on the cells. So she <laughs> invented a pencil with a waxy core rather than a graphite core that marked better and easier on non-porous surfaces, like celluloid, and it blended the colors of the cells. Uh, this was patented and sold as a item called a grease pencil, and it, oh, now it's used in... Yeah, military, industrial, aircraft uses. There's probably one in your dad's garage. There's probably one in my dad's garage. That's awesome. Well, maybe not my dad, because my dad is not a handy person whatsoever. My mom's the handy person. Um, probably one in your mom's garage. Probably. That's awesome, mm-hmm. though. Freaking badass oh. ladies working on Pinocchio. Very badass ladies. Uh, speaking of the ladies working on Pinocchio, uh, it's time to take one more one more trip into the backstage, and uh, we're going to check in with our good friend, Arthur Loves the Ladies Babbitt. Oh, gosh. It's uh it's it's kind of a good thing to hear. He's uh he's about to get fired from the Disney company. <gasps> Ooh, I like this. I like this. Yep, he's about to get fired from the Disney company what around blend of this tea year. Is this? Huh? What blend of tea is this? It's delicious. It's a very complex blend of tea, unfortunately, because he is yelling at the boss and the boss is yelling at him because he is demanding that his coworkers get paid more. Oh, does he get fired? Is he like a bad man that gets fired for doing a good thing? Uh, 
basically, yeah, he gets fired because at this time, uh, Disney is, this isn't why he gets fired, but at this time, Disney is, uh, paying people on a scale of criteria that Disney himself selects. Nobody knows what it is, but it's so obscure that someone like Art Babbitt is making like the equivalent of six figures. Uh, I don't know what the... I want to say it was like five figures, like high five figures, but back in the 40s, like five figures works like six figures today. And he has his own house. He has a couple cars. He's got his child bride. and (laughs) His very own child bride. (laughs) His very own child bride. Oh, God. Marge Belcher, we love you. Marge Belcher, Marge, you're a champion. Well, you are a champion yeah. now. Marge champion, you're a real Belcher. You're a real Belcher. This continues on uh, be- because there's a complex history between, um, between specifically between Pinocchio and the next movie Fantasia and the movie after that Bambi. They're they're very intertwined because they're all in production at the same time. I know about Bambi. Bambi keeps showing up around my house. Oh, yeah, you do have a little baby deer that shows up around your house. I'm so jealous. I have three little baby deers and two mommy deers that I want to believe are in a loving homosexual relationship together and raising their three children. Bambi lesbians. Bambi lesbians. Um, But, yeah, they hang around. And, like, I swear to gosh, they keep, like, leaving their babies near where I am. I guess because they're like, she doesn't look like she... We want to kill and eat our children because like. Right. Yeah. You're safe. Yeah. Because anywhere. You're the babysitter. Like in the house, if I'm by a window, then I'll look out and usually there will be a baby like laying right there. So I guess I'm, I'm an impromptu babysitter. But there are little deer babies. I don't think that's actually how deers work um, and the animal king works, but I want to believe that because it gives me great joy and I get all the joy I can get right now. That's true. That's fair. That's true and fair. And. Let's uh let's let's move away from things that don't give us joy. Um do you have any more or can we get into opinion portion and I can talk I can say the short things that I was going to say. I am very finally done uh with stretching out uh the production notes and I am more than ready to get into opinion. I rip into this babe. I am so happy. You I'm so excited. Let her rip. So I compiled a list When watching Pinocchio, it's important to not think too hard about any of the following things. One, the varying spectrum of animal sentience. Yeah. And animal size and, like, human pieces in animals. Yeah, that's a big fox. Uh, Two, Pinocchio's body composition and internal organ function. Uh, Three, the questionable legality of Pleasure Island. And zoning of pleasure. questionable. The questionable legality of Pleasure Island. That you think that's you think it's questionable. For shut up. For anything to do with Stromboli. <laughs> yeah. Uh, five. Jiminy's attraction to human women. Yeah. <laughs> and six. Fish's attraction to everyone. Yeah, I I tried to leave that one off, but it's inescapable. The it's fish inescapable. Flirt. Well, that's that's why it's in my list of the. It's important to not think too hard about any of these things. Right. Yeah. Um. But okay. But we we need to talk about Pleasure Island. 
Mm-hmm. This is an established place that multiple people know about where for some reason children get turned into donkeys. It's never explained how or why or when it started, and we never see a resolution. The kids never get saved. The coachman never gets caught, so this could, ostensibly speaking, still be going on. That's so- Oh! But honestly, I never thought about it before, but none of the villains ever get stopped. I mean, Pinocchio gets away and is immediately like, not my problem anymore. Like, shouldn't the Blue Fairy be directing her attention towards the illegal donkey-child chimera ring going on that's apparently within walking distance from the town? I mean, if she has all the time in the world to keep an eye on a cricket vagabond and his wooden charge, shouldn't he, she have her shit on lock when it comes to the rest of that area? And don't Isn't- don't come at me with, with the excuse that the other kids were bad and made the choice to damn themselves with drinking in pool or whatever because Pinocchio lied to her face multiple times and then his damn conscience pushed him into lying some more. This movie is hog wild for real. It's it's just Walt Disney traumatizing America's youth since 1940. Yeah, it's a little bit um, it's a little bit out there, isn't it? Because they never get caught, so this thing could still be going on. They say that it's illegal, but, like, it's a giant, like, island. It's a freaking giant island that you can get to by coach, I guess. You can swim from there. You can, it's, it's like, within walking distance and swimming distance from the village. Jeez. Um, Maybe this is why it scared me so much when I was a kid. I mean, because the, the donkeys never get saved. Freaking Lampwick, we get to know Lampwick, he's gone. And like, and the thing is, too, these are like cute, like Disney donkeys. Like these are cute animated donkeys. And so the fact that you can have these like cute little, like almost like My Little Pony looking donkeys and their mannerisms and the voices and everything going on is so unsettling they're, they're not even like like hyper realistically drawn or animated or whatever they're like cute little donkeys and yet something in their like frantic movements and in the way that it's shot and in the movement like the in the animation is just it it cuts you right to the core i mean it's just it, it's it's tra- it's traumatic it's traumatizing nightmare fuel it's nightmare insane. fuel is what we are looking for to say. It's insane. And the kids never get, like, I, I'm sorry, I can't get over the fact that the kids never get, can you imagine if there was that sort of resolution or a lack of resolution in a movie nowadays? I mean, there would be- Oh, torn to pieces. People would not like that. Like, at all. Yeah, that's just, that. that's what I had to say about that. And that's what, that's for that. <laughs> that's that for that? It's, it's hog wild. I mean- like, that's why you can't think too much into the questionable legality of Pleasure Island, because once you start thinking about it, you're like, is there no police force? Is there no militia? How did they not shut this down? I mean... Well, keep in mind, like, you don't enroll your kid in school. You just send them. They just yeah. go. There's It's the lawless anarchy of rural Italy. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like... And who, like, is the is the coachman really this demonic thing? Because his face kind of changes once, or is he just a weird old man who kidnaps little boys whose families don't care about them? <laughs> I, got a, I got maybe a little crackpot theory on that. 
Oh, well, go, go by all means. And this is not my crackpot theory that I came up with while watching it. This is a crackpot theory that I only came up with uh, because of stuff that you pointed out. Okay. I think that the coachman has discovered the island of Circe. Uh-oh. I mean, think about where this takes place. Italy, right? Where in Italy? Somewhere near the coast. Don't they turn into pigs? They do turn into pigs, but it's also shown that she has other animals on the island. So I think the implication uh, in the tale of Odysseus could be that depending on who you are, how you behave, you could turn into something else. Oh, the soldiers turned into pigs. Yeah, they made pigs of themselves. Those kids made asses of themselves. I think the coachman discovered Cersei's island and is exploiting it for his own game. I like that idea. And then and then he is greedy, so he in the bar when his face turns all weird and pink, maybe he's turning into the, a pig a little bit because the island is having an effect on him. Could be, or he's making a devil of himself. Or he's making a devil. Is that really an animal? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that one tracks. He's probably making a pig of himself. You're right. Or it's just for scary effect. Yeah, it's just it's just something that terrifies you as a child. Yeah. So that's that's a good crap theory. I accept that theory. Thank you. I'm I'm glad. I came up with it on the fly. On a fly. So, How big was the fly? Uh, same size as the fly in uh, Snow White. Fly. Okay. Do you have a, another crackpot theory, or is that? Well, uh, for me, I've got my standard three. I've got my observation, my opinion, and my crackpot theory. Okay. You ready for that? Yes. All right. So, first observation. Uh, two movies in a row with a song about whistling. Mm-hmm. Not not much of an observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of interesting. Piqued my interest. interesting. Main observation. All of the songs in the film are diegetic. Uh, yeah. For people... For people listening, diegesis uh, are details that exist within the narrative, so the characters are experiencing them as we experience them. All of the songs in this are diegesis. Uh, Most musicals use songs to represent a feeling or an event, and they're not actually experienced by characters. Uh, That's called non-diegetic. But all of the songs in this movie uh, are explicitly a part of the narrative. Jiminy singing to himself while he waits to tell his story. Uh, Geppetto explicitly singing to his pets. Uh, The songs used to trick Pinocchio and distract him. Uh, Whether it's a song that's part of a show, all of that is happening as it's happening. It's there's no song that expresses specifically an emotion or is used to glaze over as an event happens. And I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. Uh, now let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to the opinion. Uh, the animation in this movie is gorgeous. But this was... I described many of the moments as harrowing. Harrowingly terrifying. Uh, Stromboli's rage... The Sinister Coachman Foul Fellow, uh, Lampwick's Transformation, anything that has to happen to Pinocchio in Monstro, any of the drowning that happened to Pinocchio, any second of that was harrowing to watch. And it's harrowing 
for the characters in the story. You often see real fear reactions and Pinocchio crying in terror. Um, so much so that I have dubbed this movie Baby's First Horror Tragedy. <laughs> uh, let's not forget that Pinocchio is threatened with slavery, murder, and slavery and murder. <laughs> like... <laughs> Not in that order, but he's threatened with <laughs> both of those and the combination. That's, that's heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. And then he freaking drowns. He, then he drowns! And they focus on it for five seconds! Unmoving. Freaking, like... It's terrible. Ophelia. Floating down. Huh. Laying there like that portrait of oh god that that's a great Thomas Kincaid painting, <laughs> you know how he did all those castles and stuff. Yeah, just put do, do, redo the Thomas Kincaid Ophelia with Pinocchio laying that in the water. So f- oh my gosh, if I was an artist, <laughs> Morgan, please. Art- that. Morgan, Morgan, we need you to recreate a stunning work of art, <laughs> just so that Pinocchio can drown in a river. <laughs> Okay, so my conclusion... That is a part of this world. I mean... (laughs) I I do want to see that. I do want to see that so badly. Yes. Uh, So yeah, I... My conclusion is this. Uh, I recommend it academically. Uh, I want this to be seen by older teens in high school who are taking animation classes. I want this to be seen by people who are old enough to not be influenced by the stereotypes, but I want this to be seen by people who will appreciate like the richness of the animation and the uh, elaborate process behind it. I want this to be the Disney movie that gets into the Criterion collection. That's what I want. Uh, And even for like a major modern release, I think what they could do is crop the scenes with Stromboli so you never see his face, and that way you can redub with a less offensive voice. Yeah. I mean, this it, it would not be the first time that Disney crops out an offensive stereotype. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but we're not going to get into that yet. I wish we would we're gonna, get into it at all, but we are going to have to. Uh, so, are you ready for my crackpot theory? My final, final point. Okay, sure. I think wholeheartedly that Geppetto is gay. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. What, that's, I, what just came? The way I said it, maybe. So, but. That came from so left field. It's like behind the player. I mean, like, you... <laughs> I normally, Listen to this. Normally you hint at things like your crackpot theories before you tell me in the recording but this is just like absolutely not this is this is i was expecting like like oh honest john might have once become what might have once been uh oh god i just accidentally created another crackpot theory honest john and gideon were once human but then they went to pleasure island which is actually cersei's island and gideon apparently was a cat a lazy cat i don't know and then john Honest John was a, a a sly fox, and so they turned into the creatures that are associated with it. Oh, that's good. That's why they're so scared of it. Yeah, that's why they're so scared of it. Is because, but they but they didn't fully transform, which is why they also feel guilt about 
getting Pinocchio over to them. Right, right, right. That's why that's why there's the talking donkeys. They're the talking fox and not talking cat anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. So, yeah, you accidentally crackpot theory, theory accepted. Anyway, t- tell me about Geppetto's potential homosexuality. All right. He lives alone with his pets. He's a bachelor into an advanced age and he fills his house with gaudy decorations. He he wants to have and raise a child. Now, you could make the argument that he is aromantic, asexual, but he sleeps with a gun for protection. I think that's because he lives in such a rural place where something like that would not be accepted, and so he's learned to be wary and protect himself, even though he knows his neighbors. As Legally Blonde says, he's gay and European. Oh, aren't you, aren't you topical with your Legally Blonde the musical? I always am topical with my Legally Blonde musical. I love it so much. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I, I don't think it was intentional, but I think... They accidentally gave us gay icon Geppetto. You know what? You know what? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I accept that. Thank you. That that, that crackpot theory. So, I believe we've said all there is to say about Pinocchio. Have we? I mean, I've said all I want to say about Pinocchio. Okay, so there's one last thing to say. And this is this is the whole reason I wanted to do this with you. I'm so excited to be bringing this out finally. Um, between Pinocchio and Snow White, where do they rank on a list Ooh. of Disney movies we've watched so far? Well, it's a short list so far. It's not. Really- it is a short list, so this okay. is this is a relatively easy decision. It's going to get harder as we go on. Yeah. Many things do. Mm. I'll leave it at that. I'll tell you right now, I'm putting Pinocchio above Snow White. I've got Pinocchio as my number one and Snow White as my number two. And I think it's because the characters are so much stronger in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the animation is so much better in this. Yeah. Like, this is... uh, Snow White was proof they could do it. Pinocchio is proof that they could do it really well. I think, I mean, not not to be somebody that is just not to seem like I'm I'm piggybacking off of your of your uh ranking, but I I think I I agree. I mean, as I said before, this movie is hogwild. And I think that's why it's gotta be my top pick against Snow White. Pinocchio has way more troubling elements, be it genuinely terrifying elements or, you know, racist depictions or, you know, whatever. Take your pick. There's many different flavors of troubling. Um, yes, yes. That's what makes it entertaining. Like, I I agree with you that it can be used for academic purposes, but I also think this would be a fun movie to just throw on when you have a big party of people, you know, drinking cheap booze and just laughing and just having that absolute what the hell is going on moment just like it's like watching that that awful canadian kids show nanolan 
watching it and just going, what the hell? Like, what is happening right now? And just laughing until you can't laugh anymore and your stomach hurts because, like, Pleasure Island. Just Pleasure Island. What? It's just called Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island. Island. And, like, just so funny and so horrible that you just can't help but laugh. It's like watching it you just think how the how the hell did they get away with this like how the hell did they get like it was <laughs> with our modern funny. sensibilities we know better but so back funny. then it was the 40s and you could get away with anything I, I just imagine like a child you know watching Snow White and then watching this <laughs> Two completely different movies. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining a child like sitting there, like smiling all through Pinocchio. Uh, and then the credits roll, and then it turns to face the child turns to face their mother and says, "I know fear now. <laughs> I've tasted regret. I I have experienced terror, mother. <laughs> uh, man." But yeah, like you, we said, Snow White, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the plot of Snow White? Snow White. <laughs> it's Snow White. Yeah, the plot of Snow White is Snow White. Yeah. It's the it's it, we said it then. We'll say it now. It's a for, it's kind of a forgettable movie. Yeah, some things happen to her, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That really is her character. Yeah, things happen to her. Yeah. Whereas Pinocchio's character is make decisions, make the wrong decision, try to make the right decision. Yeah. He's a decisive main character. It's like seared into our brains. I mean, and I mean, things still kind of happen to him just the way that they happen to Snow White. But it's more like he is influenced by these decisions. She's not really influenced by anything. She's a static character. He's a dynamic character. Yes. Yes. He literally becomes a real boy at the end, which might not be the best decision because now he is mortal and he is he exists in a flesh sack now but you know whatever but yeah i you you had a you had a theory on that didn't you oh i did i'll I'll do it real quick and then i'll get off of here because i know my sister wants to get to sleep so um i had a theory because we were wondering like how can he breathe underwater and do all this stuff you know at first and then whenever he saves like, when they're washed up on the beach after Monstro spits him up, like, why is he drowned at this point? Because we've seen that he knows how to breathe underwater. So yeah, absolutely. My theory is he has just saved Geppetto and committed, like, a selfless act. So my theory is he has started to turn into a human. Oh, the start or the uh, the the transformation has started inside of him. So now he has human lungs. Oh, so now that he's becoming mortal and becoming human, the lungs, you know, have filled with water. And so now he can't breathe anymore. Whereas before he was kind of kept alive by the blue fairy's magic. Now he is keeping himself alive. And so then he has the water in his lungs. So he drowns. And then whenever he gets back to Geppetto's little shop, that's when he fully transforms into a human. 
I gotta say that's kind of morbidly hilarious to me. Yeah. Like, the the poetry of you become human from the inside out, both figuratively and literally. Yeah. And because of that, he just drowns. And the Blue Fairy's watching this like, oh, crap. <laughs> just sitting there with some popcorn. Just like. I did a goof on that oh, one. Oh, wait. Oh, shoot. Um. Okay. He needs those lungs to breathe. I might have goofed this one up. Yeah. Maybe I should have given him skin first and then lungs. Okay, yeah. let's fix this on the bed. Let's fix this on the bed. Just so that they don't ask questions, we'll give Jiminy the badge, too. We'll just, well, it's a, that's his hush money? Yeah, it's his hush money, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, the 18, <sighs> specifically says 18 carats. 18 carats. Which he then pawns. <laughs> um, Alright, that's that's all I got. And That's the episode, and uh, next episode is Fantasia, of course. Woohoo! And we hope that I hope that you had a good time. Did you have a good time? You know, I think I did. We were thoroughly traumatized. Now I'm just gonna kind of stare at a wall for five minutes. Well, kind of... don't stare too long. Well, stare as long as you need. But we're gonna get into some serious, light-hearted art next. Not entirely, but mostly. Oh, uh, boy. As we get into Fantasia. Oh, art like like Art Babbitt. I will I will have a passing mention of Art Babbitt again, but uh, oh, art like wait, <laughs> like art like artwork, like oh, I thought you meant like Arthur. Yeah, no. Every day when oh, you're walking geez. down the street, somebody that you meet might have a child bride or two. <laughs> no. <laughs> do the thing. Hey, I want to do the thing this time. Oh, you want to do the thing this time? Yeah. Okay. Take All it right. home, Abby. Oh, I'm going to take it home. Country roads. Um, <laughs> Mountain mama. Mountain mama, that's me. That's uh, you. Well, we are thoroughly wrecked by what we just witnessed. And um, I'm sure we'll have plenty more for you to look at next time we dissect the mouse. Dissecting the Mouse would like to acknowledge the art provided on commission by Eric, Morgan, and Silas, as well as the editing done on commission by Connor, and of course, the research done by Abby and Nate. Links to the business information for all involved artists are provided in the expanded credits, as well as a bibliography of relevant sources. Nate would also like to extend his personal thanks to his library co-workers. Dissecting the Mouse is intended as a review based on subjective opinion, and is not intended to be a scholarly source. Thank you for listening.